afternoon. Good evening. This is Dove Tuzman, and you're back on Equal Footing. Happy summer. Tough subject tonight. Hypocrisy. What do we do when the people that we look to for guidance let us down, act unethically, behave in a way that's in contradiction to the very values that they're helping us learn or propounding? A philosopher, a great philosopher once said, the only vice that cannot be forgiven is hypocrisy. And it's especially hurtful when we give our trust over to someone and we feel so let down. We feel, we feel more let down when we've given over a certain type of authority or spiritual guidance. It's a subject that we get questions about interwoven with other subjects, whether it has to do with mental health issues, relationship issues, other areas of halacha, and every once in a while we decide to really go for it. And on this show, when we really decide to go for it, talk about a subject that you know can raise hackles, can kind of potentially get us into some trouble, I look for help from the best. Uh, here joined again by someone who I consider a, a great teacher I look to for wisdom as so many other Jews around the world do, and even non-Jews. It's Rabbi Simon Jacobson who's here in studio with us. He's a world-renowned scholar. He's a pioneering speaker, an educator, as a mentor to his bios is thousands. I would say hundreds of thousands, if not millions. He's the author of a best-selling book, Toward a Meaningful Life, first published in the mid-90s, been reprinted times since has sold over half a million copies. Rabbi Jacobson heads the Meaningful Life Center. It was called by the New York Times a spiritual Starbucks, I think because it bridges the secular and the spiritual through a wide variety of programming, both online and live, and it presents the universal teachings of Torah as a blueprint for life to people of all backgrounds and faiths, in fact. With his keen insight into the human condition, Rabbi Simon Jacobson has a unique ability to offer clarity and direction, particularly on the most difficult of issues and in most difficult of times. Rabbi Jacobson, welcome back to Equal Footing. Thank you, Dove, for having me. It's a real pleasure and honor to be here and to tackle uh, one of the very critical topics, and I commend you for that, and hopefully we can do it in a way that's uh, respectable but also insightful and candid. Yeah, I appreciate your your bravery in talking about things that that others often don't want to touch because um has the potential you know you say one word wrong and people get on you. And to be clear, you know, in some of our pregame conversation Rabbi Jacobson when we were talking about what we've entitled here hypocritical ministry, obviously we're talking here specifically about Judaism and you know rabbis acting in a ministerial capacity, but this is something that has touched all sorts of faiths. Um you've had a a purging of clergy in the Catholic Church for decades around issues of sexual and child abuse. These are not issues that we're totally immune to uh, here in, in our faith. Um, Jewish Community Watch and other organizations have done a good job in, in recent years, I think, of, of taking to task our community when those things happen. That being said, in our discussions prior to the show, I think we both agreed, thank goodness, 
there is a lot of focus on that kind of that extreme form of of abuse, whether it be physical, sexual, uh, financial scandals, and so forth. And not that we're not going to talk about that tonight, um, but in a sense, I feel in, that that can present an intellectual safe harbor. No, like people say, "Oh, we we've dealt with that. We have an organization that deals with rabbis that go so far off the path." And sometimes we then overlook the issues day to day that that confront us around ministry. Absolutely, um, but the truth is. The same is with all of us personally. There, there are some crimes that are horrendous, and there's some crimes that are, I guess, uh, they're still crimes. So it really comes down to accountability, and uh, especially if you're a public figure and a leader. Um, but obviously, there are differences, and I agree. I don't think we have to dwell on necessarily the most extreme version of it. But I think what we talk about will be relevant to any given situation. Yeah. What, what are other than, of course, God forbid, sexual abuse by a rabbi who's you know, in a position of, of, of power or authority or physical abuse, child abuse, these types of things, or stealing money from the coffers of the congregation and using for, for a way that, that is untoward. What are some of the other things that you have found uh, have come up in the community and people really struggle with when it comes to the relationship with their rabbi? If I may, though, I'd like to give a, an introductory statement before we go to that, because I don't want to give the impression, I'm sure you don't either, that um, that all rabbis are corrupt, oh, or all rabbis are hypocrites, God forbid. The majority, and I know them, and I'm pretty sensitive to this because I deal with a lot of the fallout, mm-hmm. people who've been alienated, the majority are beautiful people, no one's perfect, so I think it's important before we talk about so-called uh, the bad apples, as it were, yeah, the anomalies, yeah. Um, we understand that most people in that position—rabbis, teachers, educators, mentors—go into that work for noble reasons: the noble reason of really serving others and using their skills, their both their academic and psychological sensitivity and empathy, to help the public. Um, I just want to make that clear. I know that's not the topic <laughs> we're talking about, but I think if you don't say it, yeah. it also comes across because I don't want to, I don't think we should go to the extreme like, okay, here we're here going to find the criminal ones and let's just bash them. We have yeah. to recognize that in- individuals don't reflect on the numbers, on the, on the large majority of leaders and rabbis. Yeah. And, and on the other hand, we don't also want to cover up yeah. and ignore. But I think that's what's happened. What you find today, you'll find either people are heavily critical and bashing, or everything is perfect. Let's not talk about. It. And if you'll permit me, also a little a little preamble without the erudition that that you have in the perspective. God forbid, I wouldn't want to all either be um, in a position of kind of doing some expose or a kind of accusatory or recriminatory show. In fact, given things I've lived through in my life, I'm definitely a believer in the fact that you can have wonderful intentions and make mistakes. And a believer also in restorative justice and the concept of the the transgressor, the person transgressed against, um, coming together, talking it through, learning and improving for the next time. And that's the frame of reference Excellent. As well. And as a matter of fact, I'll go a step further. The reason I agreed to be here, even though I know some people could misinterpret, is because I actually feel that when we talk about accountability, when we talk about checks and balances, 
even among the greatest rabbis, it actually adds to respect for them. Right. Because at the end of the day, we're all here to serve God, the perfect God. And God put in place human beings, flesh and blood, and to, who merit to be leaders. And there is a system that God put into place. So when I feel when someone's accountable, they actually find they're much more credibility. I remember once reading somewhere, trust is not built on perfection. It's right. built on accountability. But many people, of course, we all know the tendency of covering up, minimizing. So I really feel it's the ultimate Kiddush Hashem, the ultimate sanctification of God, Torah, and rabbis, and leaders. When we say, you know something, there is checks and balances. It's not like a leader has some type of absolute power. I'll just share, if I may, and then I'll segue into your question. Yeah. You mentioned I run the Meaningful Life Center. Long ago, it had a different name. When I was busy, my job was to remember and to publish the Lubavitcher Rebbe's talks. Mm-hmm. So when we first incorporated, for those that don't Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson, was actually the Chabad Lubavitch movement. He just his yard site was just last week, 29th yard site. So I worked for him for many years. I wrote the book Toward a Meaningful Life based on his teachings. When we incorporated in 1984, um, uh, to be a, a tax-deductible charitable so we can get charity, so the Rebbe wrote to us, you know my position that every organization and every nonprofit should have a uh, financial board and above them an audit, an audit board, an auditory board that audits them. And he says, as I will speak about this coming Shabbos, at that Shabbos for bring and talk, he spoke about it, and he said it was the chapter in the Torah. I love it. On Shabbos, he's talking about corporate governance. Exactly. And he said, listen to this, Moses, no other, none other, Moses, Roya Neman, the faithful shepherd, the man God chose to give the Torah through him, the, the humblest man that walked on earth, when he finished building the sanctuary, the Mishkan, it says he gave an accounting, Elip Kudeh, accounting of every, what we would call penny, every drop of gold, silver, copper, material used to build the temple. And the Rebbe asked the question, he's a man that was trusted by all, why did he have to give an accounting? And the Rebbe said two things. First of all, it's not his money. It's not his. It was donations from the public. Mm. So the public deserves to hear how every penny was spent. It's not just because of distrust. And secondly, every human being, even a Moshe Rabbeinu, has to always be careful because you never know. It's not your own. You never know. So one, so that's the high level. And that actually adds to our faith or call, faith and so-called trust in Moshe Rabbeinu because we know he's accountable. Mm. And not because it's not... So I bring I, it back. You asked before, you know, some some, some uh, misdemeanors, if you wish, and, that you find before out Before we go there, actually, because yeah. you, you, you took a little detour, but just to get it out of the way, it, even, you know, if we look at the Humashic principles here, it, and uh, I'm going to do a, pretend to be uh, erudite for a moment, you have... Korach's rebellion against uh, um, against right. Moshe Rabbeinu, and you have you have w- even though you have that um, outright mutiny, Moshe Rabbeinu goes. There's a it doesn't react. It's not reactive. There's it, even a it doesn't personalize to it. A higher authority even right. there. He, he doesn't personalize it and get angry and says, "Who are you?" And I was pointed by God. He actually falls on his face in humility. And he's almost embarrassed, almost, right. that some of his, first of all, they were relatives. He was embarrassed that here's a man rising, standing up, and he turns to God. What do we do? And God says, 
I will show who the leader is. Because you see, Korach was projecting. He thought that due to his ego, that Moshe has an ego. Right. And, uh, and Moshe, of course, in many ways, re- realized that he can be considered subjective. See, even when a rebellious mutineer yeah. like Korach, you see the way, and the Torah tells us all this. At the end, Korach was proven so wrong. So it's okay that we're on the radio talking about this issue because there's, there's, there's Torah values here to, to at the right times to but the talk great, about these challenges. The great care has to be taken, as I mentioned before. We don't all say, oh, because Korach, so we can now go into every synagogue right. and let's rebel against all the rabbis and against halacha. No, that's not the, right. the story. So... I want to go back since, and I'll take it back. Yeah, to before it. we go to the break, let's, let's, because what I'd like to do is put a seed in the listeners' minds, because people have fa- inevitably face this at some point in life, or you off, not inevitably, I think a lot of people do, hypocrisy and leadership, and what are some of those examples that a, a listener might be thinking of, and might want to get your advice on in this show, in this, in the second and third segment? Okay, so I'm going to talk about real ones because there are many people who accuse rabbis of things because they have their own self-interest. You know, if the rabbi doesn't agree with them, oh, the rabbi's corrupt. Right. So I'm not discussing that. Right. Let's talk about real. Look, rabbis, there can be financial impropriety. There can be, you mentioned, um, you know, um, not reporting properly on finances. There can be, uh, at times... Perhaps uh, some rabbis can behave sometimes in an arrogant fashion, with a lack of sensitivity. Some rabbis may not may overstep certain boundaries, where maybe you need to have a different type of professional involved, um, due to their own uh, limited knowledge. Um, it's not always deliberate, mind you. Um, so I find that people have different experiences. I think for many, it's on the personal level. You know, I went through a difficult divorce, and my rabbi took the side of my husband. Yeah. Or my rabbi, I, I had him sit with my teenage son to give advice, and maybe I didn't like the advice that was given. Right. So some things are subjective, like in any given situation. But if you want to, if you were able to, I'm not, we can't be the judge and the jury here, but if you're able to find certain things, yeah, there are times, and there are actually Torah laws that tell us about how one should treat uh, their constituents. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, if, and if a rabbi has... Someone says something, a rabbi ruled a certain way, you absolutely, with respect, are allowed to ask, what are your sources? Mm-hmm. And uh, so we'll talk about that more. Yeah, and that's, I think, that's, I think, one that does come up quite a bit, so I want to get into that. Didn't want to interrupt you. I do want to give out the numbers, though, Rabbi Jacobson. If you want, this is a live program, and if you want to give us your perspectives, your questions on this issue of what happens when rabbis act unethically, or you have a question about that, how and when do we hold our spiritual leaders accountable? Is it even our role? What does Judaism say, have to say about the footing? No pun intended in this show of equal footing that we each stand on relative to a rabbi when we're discussing something that we have to do that may have to do with the contradiction or something that went in contravention with Jewish and Torah values. These are really difficult things. Get some input. Give us your perspective. The number to call in live is 718-303-9090. You don't have to say your name if you're shy. You can, of course, if you want to. 718-303-9090. That's the call. If you want to Text in or WhatsApp in a question or comment. That's to 917-428-4062. That's, please don't call that number. That's for texting, SMSing, or WhatsApping. 917-428-4062. And we'll get to those questions on the air. We'll be right back with Rabbi Simon Jacobson, head of the Meaningful Life Center. You're on equal footing. 
Who by fire? Who by water? Who in the sunshine? Who in the nighttime? Who by high ordeal? You know, on equal footing, we try not to shy away from the tough stuff. So many things that cause us shame and confusion are actually the things that we need help and guidance on. One of those things that's very difficult to talk about in relationships is ED. There's no shame in it. It affects two-thirds approximately of men at some point in their lifetime, and it is indiscriminate with respect to religion or community. There are solutions for erectile dysfunction, and there are solutions that are sensitive to the community's needs. And as it pertains to erectile dysfunction, expensive blue pills are not the only option. Those pills often cause side effects. They're not available to a lot of patients due to comorbidities. Go to Manhattan Medical and get help. Manhattan Medical utilizes the new effective gains wave therapy for ED. Gainswave has been around in Europe for a long time, more recently in Canada, and even more recently FDA approved in the United States. Gainswave therapy for ED is non-invasive, it's surgery-free, it's painless. You do not have to be in Manhattan to avail yourself of this, or New York, just anywhere in the United States. You can get a teleconsult with a Manhattan Medical and get going with their ED therapy. I'm going to give out the number, 888-EDQR9. That's 888-EDQR9. Manhattan Medical's Gains Wave Therapy can help with people of all ages, that is, even advanced ages. If you mention that you heard about it on Equal Footing, you get a free consultation. That's real value. That's $250. And Manhattan Medical likes to point out that they've been a sponsor of this network, this program, and also broadly programming on the Talkline Network for many years. They understand the needs of the community, and they offer a great service. I'm going to give out the number one more time for Manhattan Medical's Gains Wave Therapy for Erectile Dysfunction. 888-332-8739. That's 888-332-8739. Call now. I've been caught. I'm keeping on, keeping on. Rabbi Jacobson, we're back talking about the unfortunate situation when rabbis kind of act unethically or in contradiction to Jewish values or even halacha. Um, maybe we could dive into some examples or actually some questions that I have as we get going. I see a couple of listener questions and comments already coming through. Um, one of the, one of the, um, challenging things that happens often in congregational settings is you'll have someone that maybe has an official position in a congregation who's not the rabbi. Um, they're, um, they're supporting the, um, the experience in the minyan. Maybe they have an administrative function in a congregation, and then someone maybe goes to a rabbi and complains. And then the rabbi, you know, takes action in that regard. And, you know, on the one hand, you have someone exercising their appropriate authority to make a decision. On the other hand, you wonder, you know, we had a show last week, Rabbi in Leshenhara, and he said, you know, one of the things we learned from Rabbi Yehuda Sherpin, who was on, is that it hurts the person who partakes in it, the person who listens to it, and the subject of it. How do you know... How do you, and if you're the person that's subject to that, um, maybe someone who's removed from a position or kind of told by the rabbi to stand aside or whatever, how do you know, can you say to your rabbi, wait a minute, rabbi, I think actually you're, 
you're you're listening to and in effect partaking in leshanara. I I I should have my day in court, so to speak. I should be able to confront my accuser, or whatever it is. These are these are maybe not the most extreme example of 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 ethical uh, problems in the rabbinate, but it, it's something that's real life and comes up for people. Yeah, and I'll add another one, another scenario, and, and and try to answer both of them. You know, we talked about different things. There often that rabbis are accused of uh, taking sides. Yeah. Of uh, playing politics, being uh, more impartial, more uh, partial to someone who's giving them money. <laughs> um, sometimes some rabbis will be accused of being arrogant, and like someone insulted them, so they dig in and they like have a certain vendetta. In other words, now again, I'm well. Let's assume everyone's innocent until proven guilty, including rabbis. By the way, is that a Jewish principle? Yes, it is absolutely. Kol Yisrael becheskas kashrus. Every Jew is becheskas kashrus. You're kosher until proven until otherwise. Not, right. right. Okay. Everyone, even rabbis, I wanted to say. <laughs> even though rabbis have a higher standard because they're leaders. I want to get to that. Yeah, we'll get to that. Yeah. But so there's all these different things. So the question is recourse. Now, I'm, I'll paint the picture of a rabbi as I understand, according to Torah, what God wanted a rabbi to be. Look, you mentioned Korach before. Korach challenged Moshe in a very legitimate argument. His intentions were not were more nefarious, but his, he said basically, why you and Aaron took leadership positions when Kola Eida, the whole community, are holy people? Right. Why are you like greater than all of us? We're all equal. And um, this is Korach standing up to right. Moses, so to speak, and right. asking that question. Right. So if a person has an issue with a rabbi, a, a really healthy, God-fearing rabbi, and we'll talk more about that, would listen closely and allow the person to speak up. Again, I'm not. I'm assuming that that person is also has good intentions, the person with a complaint to the rabbi, and the rabbi would hear him out and respond accordingly. And that would garner trust. As soon as I hear somebody criticizing the rabbi, I start asking, is there trust between them? Do you have other issues with this rabbi? Mm-hmm. So we have to always know, it's not just with rabbis, when anyone complains about somebody. So there's always a bigger story Context here. Context matters. Right, exactly. Context matters. But let's talk from the rabbi's point of view. Um, you know, people ask, what is a rabbi? What makes a rabbi a rabbi? Let's start with that. Like a doctor, we know there's certain criteria. And if a doctor misbehaves or malpractice, there are rules in the medical sure, world. AMA, the, code of conduct. Right, right. So how does it work in the... In this, this bar, it's not called that, but you can... And how does it work in the rabbinic world, Okay. And the question is really on God, because God is the one that said, go to the rabbis of your de- generation and consult with them. Get their opinion, get their advice, or get their authority. So to be a rabbi requires several things. I think the, the most obvious is knowledge. He knows Torah. He's a master of Torah. He's like a, a PhD in Torah. Okay. Second thing is ordination. He needs to be ordained. It's like the, the equivalent of getting a degree or a ordained, he's ordained by a rabbi before him, mm-hmm. who like vouches and says, yes, he is knowledgeable, I've tested it, he's appropriate, he's fitting to be a rabbi. Because mm-hmm. you could have a lot of knowledge and then not be fitting to be an actual rabbi. The third is called shimush. So it's equivalent of residency, apprenticeship, right. that you've worked, not just that you know, and not just that you've been ordained, but you actually have, like like, like, like a doctor is actually right. sat in you've actually surgery. played a ministerial function. Exactly. Right. And under the guidance and under the tutelage of a superior. 
but after, after that, everyone says, okay, now he's a rabbi. There's one more thing, which, yeah. you know, which is called Yira Shamayim. He's a God-fearing person. Mm. He has the humility of knowing. continue to walk the walk. Right. Because you can have someone that has the knowledge, is ordained, and even has experience. But you know what? He'll, let's say he says, you know, I don't believe in God. If you don't believe in God, you shouldn't be representing God. You shouldn't be a teacher. You're entitled to do whatever you want. Right. But it's not your job. You're still a Jew. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you shouldn't be, right. So what does fear of God mean? I'd say I'd like to use the word reverence of God. Mm-hmm. And there's references to this in the Talmud, tremendous references of, of how a rabbi, before he passes a ruling and makes a decision, stands, is trembles, trembles before God because his decision it can be life and death. His decision can have have long-term consequences. Right. So that humility is the thing that if a rabbi actually has that, then you know he's a person that's not interested. It's not his own interest. He has the humility to listen and humility that's, to say. That's quite a I – mean, I appreciate that. I didn't know that, but that that's still pretty ethereal. I mean, it's hard to hold someone to task. Can we go back to that specific question of – you know, what happens when you feel like a rabbi is like, there's influence peddling going on. A rabbi is favoring someone who's a big donor or, or and, and you, and you feel as a congregant, wait a minute, that's Leshenhara. If this was a different situation, if you weren't the rabbi, I, I would be upset. Or maybe I'm even more upset now. Well, you have to take into consideration, are you right with your complaint? So maybe you should do a little research. If you do have indeed real evidence and it's not, and it's not your, remember, self-interest comes always into play. This person may have self-interest, so he may have the complaint of the rabbi, and he may have the issue here. But let's, for argument's sake, say it's all been established, yes, the rabbi has. So here I would ask a few, if if this fellow was talking to me. Pardon the interruption, Rabbi Jacobson, but you you are allowed, so to speak, I'm a little bit off uh, outside of my can of expertise here, but you can, as as a congregant, ask to effectively, you can say to the rabbi, well, you heard something about me or whatever, I want to... I want to sit down with you. And I want to hear my accuser. I want us to both sit down with you. That you can do, right? Even if maybe you may don't have the evidence. You don't know what they said. But you can ask the rabbi to do that, no? Absolutely. And more importantly, no rabbi that knows Torah, that's a true rabbi, would ever accept someone's someone's opinion on another person without hearing them. Okay. As a matter of fact, there's a law. When you're standing in front of a tribunal, a court, a bezdin, the bezin has to hear both right. positions before they say anything equally. And each one has to speak in front of the other. They can't say, oh, I'll tell it to you privately. There has to be complete transparency. And just so any rabbi that's come to a conclusion based on some Lashon Hara, yeah. as a, that's a big problem. So just to bring this one to, to, to closure so we can go to another example. In this case, if you feel that's what's, you may, what may be going on is that your rabbi is listening to one side and hearing, can you in effect, maybe it's the wrong word, wrong verb, but can you kind of demand to your rabbi, listen, I want to sit down with the person that told you this and the three of us sit down. Can you kind of insist on that? Is that okay? Uh, the, the rabbi, I, I, I would hope that the rabbi would welcome that and you wouldn't have to insist because right. the question is what recourse you have. You, you know, by the way, you can call a rabbi to a, a court of law, meaning a bezdin. A bezdin. You could. If you feel it's to that extent. We're not talking about the civil court. We're talking about a religious Yeah, yeah, religious court. Yeah. You could do that, but I would only do that if you really have yeah, a true case. You know. case. Yeah. Yeah. But if not, I would expect the rabbi to welcome you to speak to them. Right. If the rabbi refuses, you then have to ask yourself, you know, why did I choose this rabbi? Right. If you really don't trust the rabbi yeah. and, and, and you feel it's legitimate yeah. and, and it's not about your own personal grievances, yeah. you know what? Um, 
Maybe, maybe you have to find another rabbi. We already have a number of good questions. We have a couple of callers waiting. Can I take a caller here, Rabbi? And we'll, we'll get the caller on line five. Can you hear us, caller? Hi, how are you? Hello, welcome to Equal Footing. How are you? So my name is Adina, also known as Flappish Girl. I'm an activist on behalf of Agunot on Instagram. And we currently have a case where an Aguna who has been withheld a get for over 10 years is trying to apply civil pressure and rabbinical pressure on the get withholder. She has a outstanding Mahadrin, Mina Mahadrin, Sakfia from one of the highest rabbinical uh, courthouses in Eretz And yet, the Rabbanim who we've reached out to as a community to ask for their assistance in encouraging the get withholders family, not pressuring the get withholders family, encouraging the get withholders family to please help us facilitate to obtain this get is falling on deaf ears. Adina, give me and one I'm, second just to translate for an audience. You know, we have a broad audience here. Um, so this is, this is, this is someone who is, um, the, the, the husband is withholding uh, a, a document effectively religious that, divorce that allows for religious divorce so sorry Adina, for the interruption just to let people in that oh, might not know what the terminology yeah. sure I'll, I'll try to I'll try to uh, give some uh, definitions as I speak so um, at the moment uh, we're at a very interesting juncture in time where the get withholder is going to be appearing in court on Monday July 3rd and he needs to provide a purge amount of $48,000 in order to avoid a six-month sentence. And the reason for this is it's back pay on child support. And the wife received rabbinical endorsements to use this civil leverage in order to let him know, the get withholder, all you have to do is give the get. So what's your, what's we'll your question happy. on this topic? My question, I guess, is that if we have a... Sakfia, uh, which is basically a permission a slip from the highest station. Um, it's a it's a permission slip to apply um, law- lawful pressure on anyone who has any relationship with the get withholder to do their part. We have community members who called all the rabbis who lead the shuls that are associated with the get withholder, and they all say we can't get involved. Okay, so the Is question, what's the question to Rabbi Jacobson specifically? What can a community do when their own rabbanim say, I can't get involved, even when there's a psak kfia from Eretz Yisrael? Great question. Rabbi, what do you okay. say to that? Well, thank you for the question. I'm glad you brought it up. Well, I'm not glad about the topic, obviously, but I'm glad you brought it up because, unfortunately, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of cases. And this is one of the big, big complaints against rabbis that they're allowing the abuse of a, 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 right, a husband's right to give a get to abuse that right and withhold a get for his own uh, intentions. The husband's kind of right that, that's held in traditional Judaism to, to right. grant the divorce. Right. And, and and people are saying, what's with, with rabbis? Why don't you get intervened? You're, you're basically an aguna is one of the most horrible things. Aguna means a woman that's tied, yeah. held hostage because she can't remarry. So, firstly, I want to say this. My heart goes out in the most deepest possible way to the women that are being being hurt in this fashion. And and no uncertain terms will say the obnoxiousness and the, the, the desecration of God by anyone that's using religious pretense for their own selfish, narcissistic purposes is absolutely unacceptable. 
Secondly, this is a call to all rabbis, including myself. Rabbis have to rise to the occasion because I personally know women, and men for that matter, that have given up and have abandoned rabbis and halacha because they say, look, they're not there mm-hmm. for us. So rabbis have to find halachic way. I'm not talking about changing halacha. I'm not talking about distorting. Doing it within the within right. the confines of Jewish law. Because if, if, if Torah does not address a crisis, what is it addressing? Right. So that's, that's the precept of this program, by the way. That exactly. We, we, the light of Jewish wisdom should be applied to all parts of life. Okay. I'm not saying it's simple, but that must be addressed because it's a real issue that has long-term consequences. And so, so the Kiddush Hashem thing, sanctifying God. Finally, I'll say this regarding this woman's question. Uh, first, I commend you for the efforts. I don't want to serve here as a posek, you know, a rabbi that is going to rule here, because I don't know all the facts. I don't know all the details. You would want to know both sides. Yeah, and I'm not, I'm not in any way suggesting that what was just presented is, is not uh, accurate. I would say that I agree with you that the community has to do something about this. Um, unfortunately, rabbis themselves are disagreeing and fighting with each other. One rabbi says, another rabbi I don't accept. So we have another issue, rabbis themselves not having a consensus. Um, I would use everything at the disposal to be able to put the right pressure on mm. the community, the rabbis involved, and to, to to compel him in the right halachic way to give a divorce, a get. And there are many ways to do so. And you just, if you don't find support in one part of the community, you have to find it elsewhere. Adina, I don't have for, a quick fix. Yeah. Thank you for calling in, and, and I want to just honor your advocacy work. I hope you'll continue to listen to the program and participate in these discussions going forward. Going forward, we're going to take our next break. We will be back with Rabbi Simon Jacobson talking about the what if, in this case, what if you feel your rabbi is acting unethically? What do you do? How and when? Do we hold our spiritual leaders accountable? We'll be right back. Equal Footing with Dove Tuzman is sponsored by MDCS Dermatology, your experts in skincare. With two Manhattan locations and four offices in Long Island, including Plainview and Comac, the dermatologists and skincare surgeons at MDCS are proud to be affiliated with the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and New York Presbyterian Hospital. So schedule your next skin exam in one of MDCS's convenient New York area locations. To make an appointment, go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-DERM. That's 212-661-3376. You can even schedule a virtual video visit with MDCS's board-certified dermatologists from the comfort and safety of your own home. So go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-3376. And don't forget to mention Equal Footing for 15% off all cosmetic procedures. I've been We're back on equal footing. Boy, this, this show often is, is a case, Rabbi Simon Jacobson, when you're on. <laughs> we get a lot of activity. Callers, please be patient on the lines. Got lots of, um, really interesting listener questions. And you can tell, Rabbi, that this is an issue that people want to talk about and often don't know where to start. And I told you while we were on that ad break that I was going to ask a question. I'm going to, um, use one of these listeners' questions because I think it's a good way of phrasing it. Um, but I do want to be clear that 
I've gotten now uh, four or five listener questions that are around the same issue. And, and this, um, this listener doesn't want to uh, share their name uh, is it in Brooklyn um, shares that uh, as a queer individual that grew up in the from community, I no longer feel that I have a community. However, I have two rabbis, not one, but two that I feel give me wonderful spiritual guidance and even guidance about intimacy and relationships. However, I cannot talk to them about the reality of my life. I don't know if I should hold them accountable. I don't know if I should hold the overall faith accountable. I am lost. Okay. Well, now you had, I just want to set the stage. There are several listeners who have brought up this issue of what, what do they do when they feel rejected by their rabbi for something about themselves? People, a couple of listeners talked about being uh, queer or gay. Um, other listeners talked about their relationship, uh, structures or struggling with sexual identity itself. So this is clearly, uh, something that touches a lot of lives. Yeah. I think we're now, we've moved a little beyond because here the rabbi may be impeccable in his personal life mm-hmm. and he's not done anything criminal, God forbid. Um, but the claim here is that he's being insensitive my sexual identity or my uh, uh, orientation, whatever the word is. I'm just, I just want to qualify that we're not talking about necessarily something that uh, objectively, you know, be criminal or even. Uh, and perhaps uh, as controversial as it may sound, may sound may in fact, in the framework of that particular ministry may not actually be unethical. It may right. be in line. Exactly. Um, no, but I understand from the perspective of the individual, he feels that's criminal because it's discriminatory. Right. So I, I would say... I, and I, I, sorry for the interruption, but one of these listeners did specifically say that they were told they were unwelcome anymore. So that, that yeah. there's a question that's more okay, specific. Okay, good, good, good. It fits in what I'm going to be saying. So I would divide this into two parts. First of all, I have no question that we have new challenges today and new sensitivities that have to be developed. Because I'm, I'm also, I'm not a pulpit rabbi, but I'm considered a rabbi, and I am a rabbi, and people come to me, including many people who are gay. And actually, they, they turn to me for guidance. Mm-hmm. So why? Because even if I may disagree with their ch- ch- choice, they say it's not choice, but with their life style or their life, uh, the way they're living their life, it's critical to distinguish between uh, the, uh, the way they're living and who their souls are. And every human being deserves respect because they were created in the divine image. And I think, I'm not saying this to in any way um, criticize rabbis, but some rabbis perhaps have not fully developed an understanding of how to deal with people who are outside of the pale of, let's say, halacha, Torah law, and how to be sensitive while also saying I may not agree with what you're doing. Um, they have developed it. For example, what happens if a person doesn't keep Shabbos? And he's coming to a synagogue that is Shomer Shabbos. Right. Um, most rabbis will, will not say don't come to this synagogue. Some will maybe. Why? Because they distinguish. He's a Jew. He wants to come to prayer. He happens to drive on Shabbos. Mm-hmm. And the attitude is, let him come for prayer. A mitzvah leads to another mitzvah, and hopefully mm-hmm. it'll raise his consciousness. Do at least one mitzvah. <laughs> right. So why can't that be applied? Even if you feel this this behavior is goes against the laws of the Torah, mm-hmm. 
So why is that invalidating the individual? That's, without, what, that's, what's, that's what's bothering me. The individuals, I, I, I think the question here, Jermaine, to this program is, is there in that situation appropriate channel to hold that rabbi accountable? No, I'm the getting there. Of, well, sorry. Yeah. So I'm really speaking now from the perspective of the rabbi, that the rabbi should be able to develop the sensitivity to welcome even someone that he adamantly may not support his way of living. Um, and that's where I think that people, even gay or other, uh, you mentioned queer, others that would find a connection with the rabbi. Why shouldn't they have access to a spiritual leader? Mm-hmm. So that's on the rabbi's end of it. From the perspective, if I was speaking to this individual that asked the question, I would say I'm completely sensitive to where you're coming from. But you have to remember the rabbi is a rabbi, let's call an orthodox rabbi, that follows Torah law, and the Torah does does prohibit this uh, behavior. So what do you want him to do? To compromise that? So you have to recognize that um, you may not embrace it, you may not say it's the right rabbi, but I can't see how you can, listen, we live in a country where you can go to another synagogue, find another rabbi. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's, that's that I, would, a, I would advise... That's a discouraging answer for many if but I, I would, really liked all sorts yeah, because of... Yeah, but you can't impose... You can't impose, just like you, you don't want the rabbi to impose his yeah. approach to you. How could you impose your approach to him? It's a delicate one. Can I move on to another question? Sure. Uh, com- uh, listener comment? Um, this, this listener, I didn't get explicit permission to mention her name, so out of respect, I'm not going to. Uh, looks like she's writing from Texas. Uh, question for the rabbi. Why doesn't Chabad, this is a Chabad Lubavitch movement, why doesn't Chabad have a designated hotline for people to call should they have an issue with a rabbi they're working for or with. The system is set up so improper behavior is not dealt with and lives are being hurt by the inaction of Chabad. It's time to wake up Chabad and do something, at least have a designated hotline. Well, I would broaden the question not just to Chabad. I'm not sure why you're choosing Chabad here. Why not every uh, synagogue and every rabbi, wherever they may be, um, so my response to this person is, if you have no one to call, call me, and I'll direct you where you can... Uh, where can they find you, Rabbi Jacobson? At uh, MeaningfulLife.com is our website. Okay. You can email me directly, Simon at MeaningfulLife.com, and I'm happy to forward it properly. And there is, there's always recourse. Uh, you have to know who to go to, and so on. You also don't want people who just coming up with all kinds of empty accusations, so it has to be all screened and filtered and properly vetted. Sure. But of course, like in any situation, if you have a rabbi that you feel has done something, I uh, think there are individuals that you could speak to. And I say this not just in Chabad, in Chabad as well, but anywhere. And I'm not saying everybody, but there are people who really care. There are organizations and there are there is recourse. Is is there a lot of work to be done still? Absolutely, Dove. And I'm saying this to the audience. I'm not suggesting we have it all figured out. Yeah. That's why we're having the show. And you know it's interesting. But but to say that it's complete there's no one out there to talk to, that's not correct yeah. at all. In one of the our, our wonderful producer, Leah, she she gave me a ton to read before this show and, and one of them was a sociological study that went over the course of a couple of decades and look at looked at rabbinical abuse in various um, sects from Reconstructionists all the way to ultra-Orthodox movements. And actually, it was interesting to find that when you ask people within a particular particular community within Judaism, they tend to think that 
issues around rabbinical abuse, financial, sexual, physical, other, are most prevalent in other parts of the community. <laughs> is known in psychology as attribution distortion <laughs> for those psychologists listening. Um, and it's less prevalent in their own community. Um, as it turns out, the, uh, I, I don't know why I feel this a bit, uh, um, this gives me a little bit of, uh, of, um, of solace. It turns out that the extreme forms of the abuse, in fact, are actually pretty uniform in percentage, meaning the incidence of these extreme forms of abuse are pretty even over the course of decades in different movements. What does that tell us? Tells us something I think about the human condition. And so one of the things I love, Rabbi, about, about Judaism, I say this to our Jewish listeners and to our non-Jewish listeners, and those listeners have been listening to the show for a long time know that I have great respect for other paths and faiths as well. One of the things I do love about Judaism is that we really do believe in equal footing. We do, we do believe in that no one is above the law and that, um, we're all imperfect and we're working and like you said, the example of driving to synagogue, maybe you have the tzitzitan or whatever, you're, we do the best that we can. And, you know, we try to keep ourselves accountable and even keep our rabbis accountable. Before we go to the break, and I am going to take you caller line one right after the break, but I, Rabbi, you're here in a, in a hot seat on a tough topic. And I just want to um, read you one listener who wrote that uh, Rabbi Simon Jacobson is a star for being on the program on this subject, and they want a recording of the show. And I and I really I want to look you in the eye because we're in the studio, Rabbi, that I think that um, what you talked about at the outset, that actually willing to be talking about these things and talk about accountability builds trust. It doesn't erode trust in institutions or people. It builds trust when we talk about fallibility and how to address it. We'll be right back with Rabbi Simon Jacobson from the Meaningful Life Center talking about the unfortunate Reality at times of hypocritical ministry happens in all faiths. In this case, we're talking about the rabbinate, and we'll be right back. A million candles burning for the help that never came. You want it darker. How can you have a show on a topic like this without uh, a little bit of a uh, little bit of Leonard Cohen? <laughs> um, I want to talk about for a moment, very briefly, a long-term sponsor of the show, uh, a lot less uh, controversial, let's say, that that some of our or less uh, challenging subject matter. It's Mechanical Art Capital. Mechanical Art Capital is a wonderful program that allows for maximum two-day financing to watch collectors and watch dealers from anywhere in the world. You can easily unlock the cash value of your watch inventory or watch collection. These are luxury watches, high-value watches, through Mechanical Art Capital's overnight finance program. It's a buyback contract you can download. Very easy to do. In five minutes, you can apply. You download the app on your smartphone, your Android or iPhone by going to write down these three words in your app store, mechanical art capital. And then you just upload some photos of your watches. You get them appraised free of charge and you can get financing on them as early as the next day. You don't actually have to get rid of them. You can get financing on and pay back later when it's convenient for you or buy them back later when it's convenient for you. If you want to do it outside the app, you can also call mechanical art capital at 833-209-0972. That's 833 833- Two zero nine zero nine seven two, and you can go to their website, Mechanical Art Capital, and that's for the watch financing program. I've been caught, but I'm keeping on, keeping on. Uh, Rabbi, 
wish we had so much more time on this topic. I may have to try to coerce you to come back because there's so many uh, questions. Um, I'm so, glad to come back, by the way. This is an important topic, and I'm really glad to come back. I appreciate that. And we're going to take caller on line one. You've been very patient. Can you hear me? Yes, I hear you. That sounds like Stan. It sounds like right. <laughs> <laughs> How are you doing? How are First you? Of all, How how's are your you? health? It's better, much better, yes. I'm glad to hear uh, by the way, happy 4th of July to you and your crew. Thank you. The hypocrisy of Judaism is so prevalent among its groups in that all of them interpret the Torah totally different ways. That each believes its interpretation is correct. The Orthodox believe what it wants to believe the conservative, the constructionist, the liberal, and sometimes they come together. The, the main hypocrisy to me is the orthodox who can never see a woman rabbi deliver a sermon. I've seen it. I've seen them walk away. That, to me, is the utter hypocrisy of at least a particular group, uh, not allowing women who are Jewish, in some instances, many Stan, of them. Let me- you you know we've done a subject we've done a show on this before and you probably have a sense of where I stand on it. However, to be fair to this subject matter, hypocrisy that, that is isn't, hypocrisy. It isn't necessarily hypocrisy is saying you believe in one thing and doing something else. If you have an if you have an Orthodox rabbi who, for whatever reason, is part of a movement that doesn't believe in in having women rabbis, you may not like it, but I wouldn't call that hypocrisy. Of course, it is. Well, it's, it's, do you want to increase the faith, or you don't want to increase the faith? Right, well, we'll put the do you question, want to ask, Rabbi Jacobs, Hypocrisy is hypocrisy. Is, is do that you want the, to make it into divisions? I mean, I mean, come on. Fair you know enough. Is afraid. that the essence of your of your question? Yeah, I mean, Jacobs? you know, he's talking about uh, uh, pedophilia. I mean, uh, it exists, but uh, it's worse uh, so with the Catholics than it is with the Jews. It exists, but hypocrisy in other areas of this faith is ever present. And I want him to let, let him explain you, it. Let me ask you this, Dan. Sure. We're gonna, I'm going to ask the rabbi to address this. Sure, I'm sure. sure it's on the listeners' minds. Uh, so I am sure. going to ask the rabbi to address the question of female yeah. rabbis in a second. But is there another area before before we lose you here that, that you want to mention with respect to what you see as hypocrisy? Or is this, is this a good salient example? I think the woman who called up to ask her question, who's yeah, a woman, based the situation you know, a little bit. Okay. It, women in the faith are not treated as they should be treated. Okay. And that's hypocritical. Okay. Rabbi Jacobson, what do you say to Stan on, on this issue? Is this a matter of hypocrisy? No, I, I totally agree with you. There's nothing to do with hypocrisy at all. Um, uh, this has to do with different standards. Uh, Stan may not agree with that standard. That's his right. It's kind of but, related uh, to the issue of queer gay or gay lifestyle as well. It's, yeah. Um, and secondly, I think... Uh, to make it a blanket statement like that, I have uh, I have a mother, I have sisters, I have a grandmother. I grew up around women. None of them would in, in any way feel or suggest that they are second-class citizens and not treated well. Are there some women that feel that way? Absolutely. Are some women legitimately feeling that way? Also correct. But I think this type of like um, blanket critique, I don't find it to be productive with all respect to Stan. I don't find it to be productive because what he basically saying is all of orthodoxy is hypocrisy because women don't give sermons. I think um, um, uh, people have to recognize that grievances or experiences 
I meet many people who experienced abuse at the hands of rabbis or religious authorities. And therefore, yeah, they subjectively emotionally feel that all religious authorities are bad. But that's not the case. I, I would suggest to everyone here, uh, and I, I'm happy to introduce you to rabbis and rabbitsons, men and women, of most noble and most spiritual and most uplifting, who respect men and women equally and uh, in the most beautiful possible way. And I, I think I need to say that when I hear someone just... Uh, and I do want to be I want to be fair to, to Stan and other listeners who may have this concern and, and say two things, Rabbi. One is that this program, to be fair, sits in the context of halacha interpreted in an orthodox manner. Now, that may not be something that... that is, resonates with everyone listening, and that's fine. It doesn't make you not a Jew. <laughs> but I just want to be fair in terms of the frame of reference of the program. Number two, I do want to say to Stan and other listeners that it doesn't mean we don't sh- that we have any way shied away from these complex issues. In fact, we've done numerous shows in the past, which I encourage pe- encourage people to find on their any pot. We're on all the major podcast platforms, Spodcast and Apple and Samsung and so forth, and SoundCloud, etc. Look up those shows because we've done shows on the LGBTQ experience in the Orthodox community and the broad question of female rabbis. So this is stuff we've talked about openly. It's just perhaps not on point for this specific topic as it pertains to an Orthodox rabbi. Now, I, w- I want to address that before we lose, and we're going to try to convince you to come back. Is there a code of conduct, rabbi? Like there's a rabbinical council of America, and of course there's a... Uh, the, what is it, the, um, there, there are other codes of conduct that as a non-rabbi, I can kind of sit at home and geek out and say, hey, my rabbi said this or did this. I want to kind of look up to see if, you know, if, if he's, uh, on point. Well, you mentioned Choshen Mishpat. There's an entire section in Shulchan Aruch, which is the code of Jewish law that distills from the Talmud and from all Jewish literature the guidelines, the rules of being an authority, being a rabbinic authority. Firstly, on one hand, let's be honest, you need to have authority. Listen, even in the United States Constitution, you come into a court, you stand up and the judge walks in, and other things, you need to have authority. At the same time, there's recourse and accountability on authorities and how they should be behaving, how they treat the, the, peop- the people that come to them. And there's very high standards for a rabbi and a judge, and, uh, and, and anyone that's in, in the Torah authority, and there are real laws and the rules. And those standards are higher than for... Of course they're else? higher, because they are leaders, and therefore they're in the public eye, and they have to have uh, be a living example. That doesn't mean so they can't... They're not just higher sociologically. They're higher in terms of yeah. our, our religious law. In a way, the more you know, the more accountable you are, because you, you, you're setting the standard. Um, but I would also add, I think it's important to be honest. I find many people with grievances refuse to acknowledge their own subjective interest. They want the rabbi to be put up on the stand, but they're not ready to be on the stand themselves. I've seen this. The rabbis become scapegoats. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to look at the whole picture here. You know, everyone's entitled to speak up and share their grievances, their experiences, and so on, but you have to also be ready to acknowledge that I do have an agenda. I had a person that came to me speaking about their rabbi spewing venom, mm-hmm. and I, I said, you know, and I'm uh, I'm not naive, so I said to the guy, I said, do you have any interest? No, no, no interest at all. And then later I found <laughs> I out dog in the fight. that he had a real serious financial interest, and he had a whole thing, which is fine, but at least acknowledge it. If you want the judge to recuse himself, you have to also uh, acknowledge your uh, prejudices. 
And I think it's it's critical to understand that rabbis are essentially ordained by God himself. He said, I'm sending human beings to this earth who will live up to my standards, can serve as my messengers of inspiring, helping people experience transcendence. And these human beings are also accountable. Rabbi, there's a lot of questions that have come in about uh, feeling rejected. And I almost feel like we should do a second part of this that's specific to that. But one listener distills it, I think, pretty well. Um, and this, I don't know for certain, but I believe is an Orthodox listener. So that's the context that, that he is coming from. Uh, his first name is Baruch. And um, anyway, from L.A. How does one maintain their belief in the rabbinate or be affiliated, frankly, in the Frum community when rabbis advocate a Hashkafic position kind of give guidance for those who don't know what that word is, that challenges and criticizes a family member's lifestyle. This would be someone that you love. If the rabbinate rejects one of my family member's lifestyle choices, how can I be affiliated with that rabbi? What do I do? Well, uh, It's a little bit of a different question than the person before is standing in the yeah. first person where they feel rejected. This is someone who loves someone else, who and, and that person's being rejected from a community or a minyan or whatever it might be, because of their lifestyle choices. That's a very difficult and I think real world question. How much time do we have? Like nothing, like two minutes. <laughs> and I had one, I had other questions I wanted to get to, but go ahead. Okay, okay, okay. So I have to say this. I need to hear more details because every story has more details to it. I'm not sure why he's being rejected. Is it legitimate? Is it not legitimate? Does the rabbi have a, a real position on the matter? You know, um, if that's your only grievance against this rabbi and everything else works, so I, want, I wonder, you know, if the rabbi to you seems to be corrupt on many levels, I'm not sure why you want to be part of that congregation. <laughs> right. We had a show, I think, about a year ago or so, Rabbi, that was called Breaking Up With Your Rabbi, and it's not a sin to pick another rabbi. <laughs> this is a different matter. Is it, is it unethical what that rabbi is doing? Is it? Is I, it I would have to know what, the, what, what is the reason that he's rejecting, yeah. and is he indeed rejecting? Maybe the family thinks he's rejecting because he's not going along with everything they want. I, I can't answer this question yeah. because this is, I would be doing exactly opposite of what a rabbi should be doing by not hearing the whole picture mm -hmm. and also hearing all the sides to it. Mm -hmm. So for me to go ahead. But as far as alienation goes, look, there's many reasons to be alienated or uh, turned off by the rabbinate. Or, you know. I think we have to realize there's a God and a Torah. That comes first. And if you can find in God and Torah the standards that you believe in and you can relate to it in a relevant way, then find a rabbi that's consistent, mm. that resonates and teaches it in that manner. Yeah. And it's as simple as that. And, and I think uh, it's, it's important, and I think we're going to have to unfortunately end it here, and we're going to ask you back because there are a lot more questions. But I think you, you brought up the word consistency, and it's been on my mind the whole program that it's important to distinguish between inconsistency and hypocrisy because hypocrisy is that active, unethical, contradictory behavior. You know, Emerson once said, consistency is the hobgoblin of little minds. It's okay to be inconsistent. It's okay to make mistakes. That's different from being consistent, from being hypoc hypocritical. I, I would just add one thing. I think before we accuse anyone of hypocrisy, we should look at ourselves. Is there anyone on earth that doesn't have some hypocritical uh, behavior where they criticize something and they themselves have that same thing they're criticizing? So I think it's important to That's a great put it into context. Rabbi Simon Jacobson, thank you so much for being on Equal Footing. Always a great pleasure. My pleasure and honor. Oh, my